I mean, Zeb, though, like you and I and David here yeah. might all agree. Yeah. You know, we kind of look seasoned around the same ages. Yeah. <laughs> Ripping so. through some shit, in other words, right? Yeah. We know things. It's kind of a big fucking deal when the sitting president of the United States sends an attache to a foreign country to run like a deep state operation mm. against his presidential opponent. And that involves like dining in the middle of a restaurant and like trying to like get and shake down a U.S. ambassador, right? I mean, that's kind yeah. of a big fucking deal, too, even though All we're living is, in this. Yeah like weird post-apocalyptic world where we don't process things that are a big deal even though once upon a time a president was impeached for lying about you know sending a team into a hotel to bug the dnc yeah right right. (laughs) these things seem infantimously worse so what that lead-up is about Mm. is to understand this on that day that story broke big day right all of us caught it Uh, it's not quite storm the capitol Mm-hmm. But it's close. It's right. the dominant story. So mm-hmm. I go and I do my research on right-wing radio, mm-hmm. the nationals, the regionals. Do you know what the story was that they told everybody on that side of the aisle? Right. What's the headlines from today's impeachment? Well, nothing major happened at all. In wow. fact, today was particularly damaging for Hunter Biden. And right. I shit you not, that's right. what the whole show right. is about. Yeah, that's what they do. But that's talk radio. And you think talk radio is guiding the thinking along there? Is it really it still talk radio? radio. No, it wasn't every, everywhere. strategic okay. messaging, like gaslight that they're doing on their own side. It's not like I think it's really important for people to understand. It's not that many of these guys are sitting there thinking, I want to intentionally dismantle democracy. They think they're the good guy. I know. That's the tricky thing is they think they're doing the good work. And there's no way to really convince them otherwise. What do you think of the new Biden stance? You know, he's much more aggressive in 22. He certainly appeared so in that one speech that he did on Jan 6. What do you think? Is that going to work? Is that going to penetrate through the voter resistance on Biden? I'm wondering what you think about whether Biden is turning around his image at all. Well, I mean, I, I mean, it's, it's a fine line, right? Because you're the president. He's dreamed of it his whole life. He wanted to do it within this constraints of a normal system. But he's, you know, I mean, you got to put on your big boy panties. Yeah. Because guess what? Shit's on fire. Right? I have a slightly different opinion. I think that they're coming into a very good moment here. I think COVID is on the wane. I really do. I think we're going to see COVID. I do. I think it's going to be gone in a couple of months. Okay, good. Cheer me up. It's Friday. You know, I think at the end of the day, they did handle least the infrastructure piece right they've got a good story to tell about these two senators that went completely you know crazy whatever it is they just weren't doing their jobs maybe just bought out you know cinema and mansion maybe you know by the time we get to the elections it could be a very different situation if COVID is, is under control uh yeah i hope that's the case i mean you're talking to someone who was on the ballot in 10 and 14 mm. in ohio midterms are tough you know in 10 we literally had a recovery happening yeah under yeah. Obama. And they managed to figure out how to, like our governor, Strickland, they blamed the Bush economy on him. <laughs> it worked and right. he lost even as we were recovering. So I think there are different, you know, COVID, if it's a real pickup, the economy is strong. You know, we can't just yell statistics about that fact. We've got to make sure people feel it. And I watched the White House and they seem really frustrated well, don't be frustrated. Figure out why that is. I think it's things like student debt, other issues that are holding people back and higher costs in some cases. So all that being said, there are some things that could, you know, if the Republicans are truly off the wall, that helps. In mm-hmm. a state like Ohio, if Josh Mandel is a candidate for Senate, truly off the wall. 
a guy like Tim Ryan has a pretty good chance against a guy like Josh Mandel. If the economy is picking up, if COVID's doing well, and as we're saying, if the hearings are truly just god-awful for the Republicans, all that is possible. I will say, though, my default is midterms when you have the White House are tough. And the only other thing would be, and you know, as I write in my book, democracy is actually a very hard message. It's, mm. it's pretty ephemeral. But if there is some kind of a true panic among Democrats that, my God, and this happened to elect Biden, if we don't win this election, we are going to lose something we may never get back. Maybe that will motivate midterm voting that we haven't seen. You know, that wasn't the terms of the 2010 midterm. Right. It, it was about health care, everything else. If voters maybe wake up to a deeper threat that often is really hard to convince people is out there, maybe that helps as well. But the default should always be, I think, in a midterm, you got to work twice as hard. It, when you're the White House, it's tough. There are some factors that maybe switch that. Until I see that really happening, I think you got to be really, you know, you got to work twice or three times as hard in a midterm to get the same result. It just seems to me that the GOP is the worst party ever. I mean, they, you they can't are. believe a word they say. No one knows that. Their right. candidates are crazy. You know, their speaker, you know, their leader in the House is obviously lying to everybody. I know no one knows that, but, you know, they're nuts. This is the worst political you know party they, ever, ever created. This is what the midterm voter knows. Mm. Low tax is good for the economy. They'll hear ham inflation in April, turkey inflation in November. Here's the new Obama gets blamed for the Republicans murdering the economy in 09 because the Republican electioneering system is still that good and ours is still that bad, they're going to blame the COVID disaster on us. And we're just mm. going to say, you be like, sure, do it. You know? They are so, going to blame it on us. There's no okay. doubt about that. Wow, we <laughs> do. That's true. Uh, and that's what they did in 10, literally. Our governor, who worked his tail off during the ad that Kasich ran was, Ted Strickland didn't get the jobs done. And John Kasich had worked for Lehman Brothers when it went yep. under. He was literally at Wall Street. You would have thought that the governor of Ohio was the reason that the economy tanked in 08. And they ran it enough. And the Koch brothers ran about $50 yep. million dollars worth of outside ads on this. I'm sorry, that was later election. But they hit so hard on that. Mm. It really did stick. Now, Ted is a great candidate. He almost came back and won. But like you said, they do this jujitsu in that case on the economy. And I think that's a great point that, you know, we already know, and it's a big debate, Trump shut schools down, not Biden, right? Right. <laughs> Many more schools were shut a year ago, but they're turning into the Democrats did it. Right, um, right. Yeah, I think that there's a lot to be ready for. And, and as Rachel's saying, like they are generally better at this really nasty messaging, right. and we've got to get really tough ourselves. Um, well, it'll be interesting to see if we can pull that normally are. But, but my biggest worry is around at least the House that even though we're hanging in there in Ohio, maybe, that they've rigged their way almost all the way to the majority already through gerrymandering different places. Now, there's some evenness to it, but it's going to be a pretty narrow playing field because they've already you know, settled yeah. up a lot of these election results. So what does that mean as you look forward? I mean, you know, we get to 22, let's say the Republicans win the House, they start implementing all these horrendous laws, and let's say they've still got the Senate. You know, there'll be a lot of vetoes going on, but still, what does that mean for 24? Are we going to be facing a legitimate election in 24? What I worry it means is they don't need to pass anything. It's mm. investigations and scandal and impeachment. And, mm. you know, they're more insane than they were in the Benghazi hearings. Mm. By they are so way much. more insane. Yeah, they've, yeah. And they've so really lost the plot. They will yeah. turn anything. They will turn into two years of just crazy scandal looking hunter biden i mean who knows yeah. anything you see on fox news right now will be what they will be investigating in a year 
And to me, that's as much as what they'll do is, as I write in my book, most of their agenda, they get done through the state houses. They don't need the federal government for anything. In the state houses, the Koch brothers have a menu they're ordering from in state after state. All they need from the federal government is nothing. They just Mm. don't need the federal government to stop it. And that's why the filibuster is so helpful. And that's why federal judges that they appoint are so helpful. As long as the states are left to do what they do, they get what they need done. So if the federal government is simply a noise machine to make us all crazy and distracted, Mm. you know, for Democrats, that seems to be not governing. For them, it's perfect. Right. It is perfect. And the opposite is true for the Democrats. They're just going after the federal picture and then they're not worrying about state houses. They're basically competing on completely uh, different playing fields. Someone online is saying that I'm thinking like a normal, rational person. Well, I thank you for that. Um, The other person said that they nominate Rachel as chief messaging officer. So there you go for that. Uh, Marie says rewriting history like fascists are want to do in terms of what she believes uh, people are going to be doing. Someone's asking, can Fox get sued into oblivion? And maybe, yeah, I mean, it's possible that Fox would get sued into oblivion. We could get serious about actually not having them continue their broadcasts and their lies. There are ways to do that. There are ways to take, you know, networks of TV stations off the air. It's it's quite possible. Oh, look at this. Speaking of dropping something, Heidi just tweeted that uh, DirecTV is dropping OAN, which is interesting. Nice. That is good news and necessary. Yeah. That's a big that makes deal. Me happy. They're the big Thanks, gaslighters. Marie, I needed that. Or, yeah. Or, so, I mean, you know, you I feel those. That could change the whole atmosphere. <laughs> could it, that could oh, wait, Dev, I love your optimism tonight. I'm trying. I'm You're trying making to. me feel yes, really good. Yes, that's so What's going on up in Toronto? <laughs> right, yeah. I love it. the best ecstasy up here. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, <laughs> it's just necessary, guys. We got to stay. Maybe it's because I am in Canada that it's easier for me to say that. More comments coming in saying Austrian and French crypto involvement in one six. You keep saying that, David, and I'm not sure what to say about that, other than there might have been some Austrian and French crypto involvement in one six. We haven't heard anything definitive about that. Charlie Kirk, TPUSA, 80 buses paid for by overseas oligarchs. Again, we don't know for sure who paid for them. But it is interesting what you're saying there, David, about the number of people that are coming, you know, that supported January the 6th, that are part of the royalty of the Republican Party. You know, the people who are part of the CNP, the Council for National Policy, who all contributed to January the 6th. And look at these names. I mean, Leonard Leo, Ed Martin, Ralph Reed, Lisa Nelson, who does the Koch brothers, Alex, uh, Ali Alexander, which we know about, Charlie Kirk, Turning Point, you know, even the people at the CNP Action Committee, which includes people like Ginny Thomas. I mean, these are big names. They all look like they could be in some serious trouble um, if the sedition conspiracy comes down. What do you think of that? Is that going to be helpful? What a tangled web we leave, right? I mean, here's the thing is like the insurrection and coup plot, the months long, you know, pre and post ambles of it. It's so flagrant, right? I mean, God, imagine taking 80 buses, 80 buses. That's like a huge bill and not being like, who's paying for it? (laughs) Yeah, flying on the airplanes. You know, one thing I'd say when look at that list is I think it was with you, Zeb, that we were talking about the Sean Hannity email. That's right. He, he knew this was ridiculous. And what's interesting on that list is my guess is some of these people knew that too. But in that world they live in, and once Trump is saying do this, people yeah. are too afraid to say no. So if he says, hey, Ralph or Lisa, or maybe Ali seemed to be pretty into it, but some of these others, Leonard Leo, hey, you need to do this, whether or not they believed it, I think they're also in a culture, this cult like group, they can't say no even if they wanted to. 
Mm-hmm. And so all these people, like, you know, some of these, they're all very conservative. But yeah, you look at ALEC and Federal Society, like, to be part of that is truly a problem yeah. for them. Even if they knew Sean Hannity in those emails was saying, this is nuts. I'm going to still pretend that there's a voting problem. He had to go along with that lie. And my guess is a bunch of these people now are like, I knew this was crazy. I couldn't say no, because in this group that we're part of, you don't ever say no. And that's where we are, where we are. I've heard that from people inside that right-wing infrastructure or that community that, you know, they are actually quite proud of the fact that they were so well coordinated on that day that, you know, hey, we actually pulled something really big off by coordinating all these different pieces of the right-wing infrastructure of the ecosystem. You know, it all worked up until a point and that they got everyone there, but they're actually quite proud of that. But they are now just wondering how they can get away with it. I mean, how get away from it at least. Yeah, because it's just a disaster, of course, for most of them. I mean, wouldn't you be proud if you managed a storm and like try to take over the federal government and the president on your side, held back all the federal response for hours, pre and post too, by the way, because you know that's speculation, but I'm not a journalist, so I can do that. And I'm pretty damn sure that that's what happened, right? Well, I mean, the doors were basically left open for them. There was no real resistance at all. And I think the, you know, we're gonna find out a lot more about that. I'm also really interested in these fake electors in various states around the country were all using the same forms to elect fake electors for that date. And that could be another interesting opening for an investigation in terms of the conspiracy, which should be really interesting. You guys been following that? Did you find it interesting? Uh, yeah, I've seen the basics. I've been focused on these gerrymandered cases. But, you know, one of my themes in my book, and I'm learning a lot more about Rachel tonight, so I'm sure she thinks this times 10 is, we should no longer be surprised by anything. Like, we're not doing something right if we are shocked continuously. It's because we haven't figured out just how far these people will go. And I say that with state houses. Mm-hmm. So it, when I see that come out, I mean, we need to stop being shocked. We need to actually readjust how we think about the other side to know and be prepared that they will do anything. And I think that's going to keep playing out in this investigation, that it was worse than we even now imagine. So I just think like, yeah, that is very consistent with everything else they did. They were working every angle. So yeah, they're going to do that, clearly. Yeah. yeah. Rachel, you sent me a picture earlier, and I don't have it here, unfortunately, because I had to reset (laughs) my thing. But it was was something in your truck. Can you describe what what that was and why you sent it to me and what the meaning of that was? Because I don't let the night go with me wondering what it is here. I might even have it. Let me pull it up. (laughs) I was wondering why my truck wants to dispense auto LSD to me. (laughs) Where is this? How is this? No LSD. Where? I just thought that was a bit oh, also, you know, ambitious. Oh, well. <laughs> oh, you should have taken it. You would have been a little like a, a little more chipper. I should have been way more interesting. You know? <laughs> oh, that's very funny. I didn't read I, when you sent it to me. I was like, "What is that?" You got your like, yellow light on. You got a lot going on in that. Car. Yeah, are you, are you sure it's safe to drive? <laughs> yeah. Your tires, your tires, yeah, you're slipping on a road. You're in park. I never buy a new car because, like, only suckers yeah. buy used new cars or people with too much money and right. uh yeah. you know my truck gets a lot of hammy love yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a, you actually have drive a truck Steph, can i can i say one thing though about i drive a truck too there. we're both truck drivers oh well, there you go <laughs> yeah like, like I've been i drive like a minivan <laughs> <laughs> so um what i wanted to say though in terms of like david's point right is like one of the things that i stress on people i mean not surprisingly people oops um 
While we wait for her, do you want to tell everyone more about your book? Because it is a handbook for how to fight for democracy in their states. Sure. So my book is basically trying to make the broader point, and I mentioned a little bit earlier, that we have become so focused, those of us who care about democracy on the federal level, that we're missing the true attack. And the book cover shows us it is mm -hmm. through state houses. Our country, maybe uniquely for any country, so much of the power over democracy is set at the state level. And I go through all sorts of examples of that, how powerful these state houses are. But the sad irony, no one knows it, including in their own states. So it's this huge amount of unaccountable power, which is in many ways the Achilles heel of governance in America today. Great power, anonymity. It's meaning, it means they had total unaccountability because they've rigged districts for themselves mm -hmm. for so long. They're essentially falling away from being anything that would meet the definition of a democracy. Mm -hmm. And along the way, they've gotten incredibly extreme, very corrupt, because one of the realities is the public doesn't know what these people do or who they are. But private interests who want something out of state houses know exactly who they are and how to get it. You know, nice. big energy companies, for-profit charter schools, you name it, telecom. These states have massive power over all these types of industries. And see this combination that's made for this sort of downward spiral in democracy in these states, public outcomes, corruption, because they can't ever lose an election, extremism, they worry about their primary. And here's the worst part. The, you had them on that slide earlier, ALEC, mm. the Federal Society, all of them, they discovered this Achilles seal 20 or 30 years ago. Yeah. And they've sort of weaponized it down the corner there, Lisa Nelson, ALEC. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, Federal Society is doing some of this. They have taken this weakness and basically nationalized it and weaponized it to serve their agenda. Mm -hmm. So all across the country, state for state, these people no longer represent the local people vote for them because they get reelected no matter what. People don't even know who they are. But Alec literally gives to them, quote unquote, model laws mm -hmm. that are basically <laughs> written by the private sector members of Alec. It's a privatization process. And no one's paying attention because there's no media. No one pays attention. Yeah, no one covers it. State house media is down to the bone. Mm -hmm. The Koch brothers literally say, this is great because we do this in Columbus or Tallahassee. No one even knows it. If we tried in Washington, it'd be a big fight. Right. So the point is that's all happening. But towards the end, I go through the key to it all continuing. Because here's the bottom line. These state houses are passing generally very unpopular things. If you want something on extreme done, attack mm -hmm. Roe v. Wade, massive giveaways to private companies, you have to go where you can get away with it. Well, you get away with it in state houses. That's where you do it. Mm -hmm. So if you did that as a mayor or a congressman or senator, you might lose your office. But in state houses, they don't even worry about it. The point is, the key to keeping all this going is to subvert democracy as much as you can. If you had a robust democracy to state house, mm -hmm. you wouldn't be able to sustain doing all these ineffective, unpopular, corrupt things. And that's why you see this intense activity to gerrymander so every election is predetermined, suppress the vote of the opposition. When they're suppressing votes in states like Ohio, it's not just about Barack Obama or Joe Biden. It's about their own state houses. It's about suppressing the coalition that may elect Obama, but would also mean that they wouldn't run the state house anymore. So right. they are doing all this to preserve a system where they're delivering all these unpopular items to a state that would otherwise not support it. And I go through the polling in the book. Almost everything they're doing is unpopular in their own state. But they can do it because of the, the way it's set up. And one of the things that they've learned, and I call it laboratories for a reason. They're always learning. They're always experimenting. When they make a mistake, they correct it. Mm. When another state does something good, they learn from it. 
one thing they have learned to a T, and it should scare all of us, is the key to it all is lack of accountability. Even if the law they pass gets struck down, they don't lose their next election. They go pass another law just like it, but they tinker with it to fix it. And that's why as the lack of accountability has become more clear in the second half of the last decade, their activity is exploding. It's a downward spiral that never stops because they see that they'll never lose. And then the last piece is, we are, as I said, I think in our last talk, talk we're now at the tail end of a generation Hmm. that have basically existed in the system without ever experiencing democracy. They've hmm. never been in a real election. The people currently gerrymandering these Ohio districts, they've so never been in a real election. This is all they know. And they're scared of a real democracy because they kind of know, well, we're living on this borrowed, yeah. undemocratic time. If we right. ever allowed real elections, we'd all lose. And so that's why you see them like it's democracy is not part of their rise to power. They're not comfortable with it. And they have the tools as state house members to crush it. So as I said, that's why we should never be shocked anymore. Right. That's who they are. And they're going to keep going until we stop them at the federal level. But we also redefine our own politics. So we're fighting back in every state of this country all the time, whether it was what we did for the Supreme Court races to mm. win that court or running in every single district in these state houses to hold these guys accountable when they do all the crazy things they do. That's a little long, but that's sort of the thesis of the book. There's a lot more detail in it about how bad it is, but also how we can fix it. But also the fix is not gonna come quickly. I mean, this is gonna take a generation really to fix. I mean, it sounds like, you know, not only do we need to change the system, but the way we play politics has to change a lot. We need the federal government to act, but we can't wait as if that's the only thing that has to happen. Those who believe in democracy, and it's mostly Democrats, but I think broader, mm -hmm. we have to think about this battle the way they do. They know it's a battle for democracy. Their agenda does not succeed in a robust democracy, and they know it. They have to suppress democracy. They're a minority. They know mm -hmm. it. A yeah. real democracy would crush them. They wouldn't be getting what they want to They do know it, yeah. They do know it. They say it. It's on the record. I yeah. quote them. They're, so, they're not pretending. They're, they really want right. an autocracy here. They they're really are going they, for they, it. They, yeah, they think the masses will steal their resources. Mm -hmm. They have to protect them. They say it. And mm -hmm. there's a lot of white supremacy involved, sadly, as well. But you put it together, knowing it's a battle for democracy and knowing that state houses are the key to democracy in our country, mm -hmm. they're battling in 50 states all the time. Yeah. yeah, they want Donald Trump to win. But just as important for them in 2020 was that they won state houses. And we have to say, okay, if that's where they're playing, we got to go there too. All we do for too long is focus on exciting federal candidates, right. exciting presidential, exciting swing state candidates. So we're fighting up at the federal level that doesn't mm. control as much of democracy. They're fighting 50 states, state level, and they lock up state houses. You know how in a battle you want to be on the higher ground? Mm -hmm. They're Absolutely. on the higher ground. They're yeah. locked into state houses where they fire away every day against democracy and we don't shoot back because we're not even engaging enough at that level. So we have to rethink our strategy. 50 states every year, all levels. If you want to hold them accountable and change this downward spiral democracy, you've got to be playing the big game. They see that too many on the side of democracy just don't see yet. We're fighting over elections, assuming democracy is intact. They're fighting over democracy itself because they can't afford to have it intact to get mm. what they want done. Wow. We've got to up the game just like they did about 20 years ago. That really is a very chilling statement though. That uh, last statement you made there, that's really 
Boy, that doesn't leave you with a lot of optimism. I started the no. show with so much optimism. I, now, I, but, now you've wrecked it for me. No, but that's why the last third of my book <laughs> yeah. is about all that we can do. And here's, I described in Ohio Day, it's a case study. Mm. Once you see it as a battle for democracy, the good news is it is a long game. But she spent 10 years fighting back. And when she lost in 18, everyone probably thought, oh, she lost. What a failure. Too bad. Mm. She said on her election night when she didn't concede, but she said Kemp got more votes. She said, we made progress. Yeah. My guess is everyone thought, oh, come on. Her progress is why we won Georgia in 20. Yeah. So I mean, it's a grassroots movement there. It's really different. Yeah, and, and we need to start seeing success as part of that long game. And so that's when you can get optimistic. Mm -hmm. If you run 99 candidates for the 99 House districts in Ohio, most of them probably won't win. But by running them, you are making progress in the long game. Right. If you run 65 and leave you know, 34 empty, then you're not. So once you see the long game for what it is, a battle for democracy, 50 states, you can start seeing progress that otherwise we're so caught up in one cycle, we never see. Right. And that's why the Supreme Court decision today for us in Ohio, that was a long game victory. Two of our Supreme Court candidates lost in 16, but we could tell that they actually performed much better than they had for a decade. So we mm. saw, hey, here's some progress. Yeah. Do it again in 18. We won both seats. Do it again in 20. We won a seat by 10, even though Trump won by eight. So we saw progress and built on it. I'm an internal optimist, or mm. I wouldn't be doing any of this, right? <laughs> I mean, you wouldn't be on the show if you were. <laughs> no, I'd find but something else. We have, so I'm not naive. Yeah. But if you have the right long framework in the right plan, you can start to see, see, you know, you see optimism, but through, because you have it actually a better measuring stick of what progress really looks like. And a win over the long term is going to be a much more meaningful win and then one that you could actually build on. You know, these wins on these short terms, yeah. these cyclical wins, they don't really help us a lot. Hey, that's the end of the show. I'm sorry Rachel never got back and we'll never know what she said. We'll have to ask her to tell she, us. She got a lot of good stuff in there when she was here. So Yeah, no, she was she was terrific. She really is. And your book is called Laboratories of Autocracy and it's available. Where can they people get it, by the way? You can get it, you know, on Amazon. If you prefer your local bookstore, independent bookstore, go to them and order it there. A lot of people do it through the You don't have an audio book. You don't have an audio book. I don't, know. You need one. Not yet. You've got least. a great voice for it, too, so you should do one. Oh, I do? Okay. Yeah, okay, yeah you sound very passionate. Well, that's the show for tonight. Thanks, for everyone, for being here, and I appreciate everyone's time. Thanks you to Rachel Bittercoffer, who was here for a brief time, but a good time, uh, and hopefully she's gone off to enjoy her auto LSD or whatever it is her car is giving her. And David Pepper, thank you very much for being here tonight. I'll be back on thank Tuesday you. for another narrative, and we have a big show again on Tuesday, so hopefully you'll join me and Sherry Jacobus on Tuesday for a very interesting broadcast. Have a good night, everybody. Narrative is made possible by viewers like you. Join today and support truly independent journalism at patreon.com forward slash narrative. That's patreon.com forward slash narrative.